Now, before we jump into our responsive readings, let's pray for these readings together. Radiant God, source of light, as you surround Jesus with your glory, so you come to us and surround us with your brightness. Illuminate the text with your glory and allow it to shine through to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, for our responsive reading, please let us gather to look at Psalms 99, verses 1 to 3. It's highlighted in your bulletin, and it will be highlighted on the screen for the parts you're supposed to respond to. The Lord is king. Let the nations tremble. He sits on his throne between the cherubim. Let the whole world quake. The Lord sits in his majesty in Jerusalem, exalted above all nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Your name is holy. Good morning. The scripture reading this morning is from Luke 9, verses 28 to 36. And I am reading a different version. I'm reading from the Jewish study Bible, complete Jewish study Bible this morning. Uh, About a week after Yeshua, being Jesus, said these things, he took Kepha, Peter, Yochadin, John, and Yaakov, James, with him and went up to the hill country to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothing became gleaming white. Suddenly, there were two men talking with him, Moshe being Moses, and Elohu, which is Elijah. They appeared in glorious splendor and spoke of his exodus, which he was soon to accomplish in Jerusalem. Kepha, Peter, and those with him had been sound to sleep, but on becoming fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Yeshua, Kepha said to him, not knowing what he was saying, it's good that we were here, Rabbi. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moshe, and one for Elihu. As he spoke, a cloud came and enveloped them, saying, sorry, they were frightened as they entered the cloud, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen, listen to him. When the voice spoke, Yeshua was alone once more. They kept quiet. At that time, they told no one anything of what they had seen. This is the gospel of the Lord. Now is the most time I have to talk to you all of the Sunday. If you have earplugs because you don't like my voice, take them out now. Today is Transfiguration Sunday. Transfiguration Sunday is a Sunday I did not know existed, probably because it's so close to March break. (laughs) Let's be honest. So as soon as John gave me this incredible opportunity to talk to you today, I typed stuff into Google to find out What exactly is Transfiguration Sunday about? 
because I don't want to sound like a crazy person up here. I want to give you God's word. So when I was jumping in Google, I found this absolutely incredible source. Now I'm going to brag about this source because this theologian is not a well-known theologian. She is actually a professor. She was a professor and she was a daughter of a Presbyterian minister. Woo! And she was a professor from her famous school from 1956 to 1998 when she became the headmaster. When I was reading up on her, I thought she was the absolute perfect example because her name is Minerva McGonagall, and she is the leading expert in transfiguration. <laughs> yep, so thank you, Georgia, for bringing in the Weasleys. You tied it in perfectly. I couldn't have paid you more. Now, being serious, transfiguration is a core class and subject taught at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. It teaches us the art of changing the form and appearance of an object or person. This type of magic is commonly known as wizardly transfiguration, and it is exceptionally dangerous. There are limits to transfiguration. It is complex, it is dangerous, and is not to be taken on by those faint of heart. There are also very many branches, yet the biggest thing that she stresses we must remember is that everything has to be perfect according to all variables, according to God, according to everything for transfiguration to occur. Right now, if you're not a Harry Potter fan, you will be going, why on God's green earth is she saying this? Or on God's white earth right now? We came here to talk about the Bible. And it's right in front of you in your pew. But sometimes we get inspiration from different things around us. We can get it from nature, we can get it from a book, we can get it from a remarkably great movie and TV series. A book series. They should make a TV series. But when I was looking at the Harry Potter version of Transfiguration, it struck me. What is transfiguration and what is transformation? Are they synonymous? Are they different? Can I just go say, I transfigured this egg and flour into a cake? I've never heard that before. So realizing I'm not an English major, I looked it up. And transfiguration and transformation are not the same things, not the least. According to my handy online dictionary, transformation implies a remaking of the nature of the person or object. It is taking this person, object, or maybe even this place, and it's essentially doing what a caterpillar does. It wraps itself in a cocoon and it reworks its components. It builds, it grows, it becomes something different than what it was. And it leaves as a beautiful, glorious butterfly. 
Transfiguration, on the other hand, implies a revelation of a true nature. So if we think back to Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 36, during the eight, after the eight days, when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to that mountain, and when his face was transformed and his clothes became a dazzling white, I had thought that was a transformation. Because before the sermon, I didn't care about the difference between the words. I had thought Jesus had gone to that mountain to be transformed. That God had come down and gifted Jesus with something new, something more. That he had become, in that moment, other, out of this world, amazing. But we're talking about Jesus here. Jesus has always been amazing. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> so that brought myself to a bit of a quandary. How in the world can Jesus be transformed if he's already amazing? So he must have been transfigured. This was actually a very big quandary for me for many days. And we know Jesus is more because he is both human and divine. He's fully human and fully divine. So that fully human, fully divine Jesus, that is who he revealed himself to us, to Paul, John, Peter. That is who they saw that day. Going back to our reading, you'll notice he's not transformed. He's transfigured. He is not a caterpillar wrapping himself up in a cocoon and transforming into the light of God. That painful re rearrangement and exodus that is hinted at that day, that is the resurrection. That is not when he is on this mountain. Jesus steps into the light of God's glory and his glory as the Son of God is revealed. It's like he had a winter parka and his toque and everything all wrapped around him, keeping him warm in our little human area. And in that moment, his greatness was torn off. It was no longer a cold area. It was light. It was warm. We could simply, we could freak out in his presence. Really freak out. Because at that moment, we were given the opportunity to see his true face. He was not just Jesus of Nazareth. He was, and you could see, and it was said by God that he was the Son of God. Listen to him. Obey him. He is here for us. They saw him in that moment as God's beloved son, his beloved son. What does it look like to look at God's beloved son? What does Jesus look like? How did he look in that exact moment? I had to stop and wonder. 
do I know what Jesus looks like? Can I know what Jesus looks like without what I'm used to? The flesh, just the pure light. And in that moment, how did the disciples Peter, James, and John view his magnificent, magnificent? I'm just so overwhelmed trying to imagine Jesus, I can't speak. Blame God. So I was really lucky. I was praying, praying really hard. And Facebook had an answer for me, which is really awkward to say. But this is the image that came across my newsfeed. Can you guys all see that? Trying to understand and grasp the magnificence of Jesus. That's why at the children's little corner, children of all ages, anyone could have come up, um, that's why I asked what Jesus looked like. Because I needed answers. We all need answers. And I was starting to doubt what I once knew. That is why we asked the kids, because they have not learned yet what Jesus is supposed to look like. He could be a Weasley for all we know. Thank you, Georgia. Love you so much right now. But when I stop and I look at this photo, to me, it shows the idea of the divine light of God. It is the Holy Spirit. It is God. It is literally the Trinity all in one at that moment. And we are seeing them through Christ. It is the pure light and pure love of Jesus. Can I just go wow again? I would have hate to been there. I think I would have peed myself. <laughs> For being honest, like if we ran into this in person, how would we react? And when I look at this, haha, no, you're not gonna work on the screen. When we look at this, I want to call to mind how much we, little we know about this moment. We know a lot, and quite frankly, you all probably know more than me. But in this moment, we see God, and oh, if we're going back, I like this photo. We see God, and I want to draw attention. When we talk about Moses in the Old Testament, we talk about when he comes in with God, how his face becomes radiant. That is because he is experiencing the power of God at that moment. But when we listen to Luke's words, it's not just Jesus' face that becomes radiant. It's also his gowns and his robes that become a dazzling white. Why did Luke include that differentiation? To me, when I thought about this, it was because it's another sign that Jesus isn't just experiencing God. He's not brushing up to God on the mountain because he's so close. What he's doing is he is God. Literally every part of him is pure radiant light. And another reason I love this image is because Luke only ever calls God or the angels to have something of dazzling white. And when I look at this picture of Jesus with his hands raised, I can almost see the angelic wings from above. I can see the shape of the man 
and the angel, and I see the light of God. And I see just how scary it must have been to experience this. Because here we're experiencing pure light, pure love. Now, this in and of itself is truly amazing, right? I think so. But why did Moses and Elijah show up? Could that be overkill? I heard your whispering. It is the law of the prophets. <laughs> I love them. I'm trying not to laugh when they say stuff. It's really hard. <laughs> the law of the prophets, when you think about it, when they return, Luke is giving us the fulfillment of prophecies. Not only is this an incredible beyond all moment for if you're just experiencing it, but they're fulfilling the prophecies. Moses and Elijah, when you think of the Hebrew Bible, these are our big stars. These are the people that stand out to us. This, back then, would mean so much more than it means to me right now. This is a fulfillment, a prophecy. And when you think about Moses and him standing there, you can tie back Jesus' radiance to when Moses had his face illuminated with the love of God. You tie everything back into God's promises. In this moment, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to a mountain to pray. They prayed to God, and God was there, and he met them with his light, with his love, and he answered the questions that were coming. I thought that image really represented that very well. But but, but why did I bring Harry Potter into this? We could so easily do without Harry Potter. The choir's telling me no. Bill's telling me Harry Potter's the best. I'll argue Jesus is, but that's because I'm standing right here, right now. But when we think about Harry Potter, when we think about McGonagall, of all people, when we think about transfiguration, transfiguration, everything involved in that, needs to be perfect for it to work. We know Moses was incredible beyond all else, right? He did so much. Was he perfect? No. no. I gotta know. Anyone else wanna say no? No? No one else does? Okay. So, it was only his face. When we had true perfection, when we had Jesus coming to share his light and be with us, was he fully transformed? Yes! Thank you, person in the back. <laughs> he was. And where did this happen? Did this happen in a temple? Did this happen in the Vatican? Did this happen anywhere specifically special? 
No, it happened on a mountain. I have climbed mountains and I can tell you, there's a lot of them out there. So when I think about transforming and the transfiguration, how Jesus brings love and hope, I thought about Harry Potter because I was reading Harry Potter. And it reminded me of McGonagall and how she helped people do their best to achieve the transformation, to achieve what near perfection they could so they could go out and they could help others. Do you think in that moment, Jesus was helping transform his disciples, go out and help others? Bill, can you yell yes? I got a yes. Thank you, Bill. So, why did I include Harry Potter? Because it's normal, because it's every day, because we've all seemed to hear of Harry Potter, and we've seen the transformation it can do. And Jesus is not quite normal anymore, but he has transformed and transfigured and showed us the love and showed us the light of what we can do. So, I want to thank you for your time, for your listening, and I want to say, let this not only transform you, but transfigure you. Let this day, this Transfiguration Sunday, show us and show the world what God sees in you. The gifts, the talents that you already have there, the light you use and have inside to help others. We may not be that dazzling creature up there. But we can be like Moses, turning our face to God and being enlightened.